Before the summer I turned 12 years old, I had never heard of Tisha B'Av. It was the first summer I ever went to a Jewish summer camp. My parents helped me pack up everything on the list and put me on a plane to Chicago, where I changed planes to Milwaukee, and I was met at the airport by a camp representative who drove me and several other children who arrived by plane to Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, to the Olin Sang Ruby Union Institute. A mouthful, the kids called it Asrui, but it meant camp. Camp was amazing for me. It was the first time I ever lived on Jewish time with prayer in the morning and the evening, blessings at meals, Shabbat as a day truly apart. It was completely a different schedule, a look, a sound, than the rest of the week. Shabbat was something special. And it was different, good different. I made my first Midwestern friends, Jewish kids from Nebraska, Illinois, Wisconsin, the kids from Chicago lived a very different life than I did growing up in central North Carolina. With the Jewish density of Chicago, they told me how their public schools would close for the high holidays. I imagined that living in Chicago was like living at camp all year long. So many Jews that Jewish time could set the secular calendar. It was something else. Now, that summer, I learned some modern Hebrew for the first time and learned to drop Hebrew words and phrases into everyday conversations. I'll see you at the Chara Rochel for lunch, or um, meet me back at the Tzri for Menucha, right? I learned a lot of new songs, and if you know me by now, you know I love songs. So it was a special summer. There were new dances, new friends, new games, and all of the good things of camp. It was even the first time I ever picked up a guitar and learned to play a song. Some simple chords for a three-part harmony, Lo Yisal Goy. Um, there was lots that was new for me. It was that summer that I discovered I had something that I had never known before in the Jewish calendar. Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. The camp atmosphere changed that day and not in the fun ways that camp changed for Shabbat. The discussions were about Jewish history, the history of being an oppressed people, of temples destroyed, of being expelled from Spain. It was a low day. The songs were sad. We did not dance. Some of the older campers and staff members chose to fast from food and drink. It was the first time I ever heard of a special observance for Tisha B'Av, and I was excited by its difference and its mystique, a holy day of fasting and mourning. By the time I was in college, I went to work at a Jewish summer camp. As a rising sophomore at the University of Texas at Austin, I joined my Jewish college friends on staff at Green Family Camp in Bruceville, Texas. At staff orientation, I noticed that the second session Maccabi Games, the, the color wars, was actually set on Tisha B'Av. 
I brought my concern to the head of education that summer, a rabbinical student. He acknowledged to me with some dismay that the calendar was set and that really no one else would notice or care. And he was right. On a summer staff of nearly 100 college students, post-army Israelis, and high school students training to be on staff, only three of us, two Americans and one Israeli, observed Tisha B'Av. So we started Color Wars with silent breakfast, a camp favorite for the staff, <coughs> silent breakfast with hundreds of children being as quiet as possible. And frankly, that was an easier time to be fasting during silent breakfast. But in the Texas heat, the fast was getting oppressive by lunchtime. And during lunch, the three of us gathered in the staff lounge away from all of the happy chatting and eating to continue our fast, to sit on the floor, and to read the Book of Lamentations. Tisha B'Av is an important day on the Jewish calendar, yet Reformed Jews largely don't observe Tisha B'Av. And I have a few ideas why I think most of us in the approximately 900 congregations in North America don't observe Tisha B'Av. First and foremost, I think most of us just don't know much about this holy day. Tisha B'Av is in the smack, just smack in the middle of the summer heat when many people are on vacation and away from home. So let me take just a moment with your indulgence to give you a little bit of information about this holiday. Tisha B'Av is the culmination of three weeks of mourning in the very middle of the summer, beginning with the 17th of Tammuz, so this year that was June 25th. These three weeks recall key moments in the downfall of Jerusalem two times, both first in 586 BCE, that's the Babylonian siege and invasion of Jerusalem, and then again in the Roman period, um, in the first century CE, again, the siege and invasion of Jerusalem. The rabbis of the Mishnah, which was in fact codified about a hundred years after the second temple was truly razed to the ground, said that Moses smashed the tablets recording God's commandments on Sinai on the 17th of Tammuz, making it the same day that the Israelites celebrated and worshipped the golden calf. So a minor fast from dawn to dusk is observed by some, and during the three weeks, some people don't cut their hair or shave as a sign of mourning. Many people avoid parties and live music, and some even refuse to set their wedding dates during this time because the celebration would, con uh, would be a conflict with that period of mourning. So you may have in this last year heard me say or sing a saying about the month of Purim. It says, Misha Nichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha. When the month of Adar enters, the month of Purim enters, joy increases. Well, it happens that that Mishnaic statement has a flip side, which is Misha Nichnas Av Ma'amatin Besimcha. That when the month of Av, this month, when it enters, joy decreases. So for many, for the final nine days of the three weeks, which is where we are right now in the final nine days, 
Those first nine days of Av are particularly mournful, and people might refrain from eating meat or drinking wine or doing other delightful things. And Tishabav itself records a long series of historical calamities. The Mishnah gives us five. One, you have the condemnation of the spies, that Moses sent out 12 spies or scouts to search the land of Israel. They came back. They did not have a glowing report about the land of Israel. And for that, they convinced the people that they weren't really sure they wanted to go there. And for that, that generation did not get to enter the land of Israel. And we are taught that that was on Tisha B'Av. So that's one. The second is that Babylonian story I told you a moment ago that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first temple in Jerusalem in 586, and that was also the beginning of the Babylonian exile, which is a huge impact in Jewish history we can talk about sometime. Then the third was when the Romans did the same. Uh, in 70 CE, destroying the temple, actually setting it on fire, they say it burned all day into the next day, um, and that, that event is recorded as the first in the scattering of the Jewish people from the land of Israel in that, I can't say modern times because it was 70 CE, but in that period that began the dispersion of Jews for some 2,000 years, most of the world's Jewish population away from the land of Israel and Jerusalem. Okay, so that's three. The fourth was a major dramatic event in the Bar Kokhba rebellion. Now, after Rome destroyed Jerusalem, the Jews were not ready to give up, let's say, and in the 130s staged a huge rebellion against Rome, which did not go well. You can imagine. And so there was a particular event. Um, Beitar today is a soccer team in Israel, at that time, Beitar was a huge outcrop for this rebellion, and about 100,000 people died. And that happened on Tisha B'Av in 132. And then a year later, to rub it in, because the revolt was still going, a Roman commander named Turnus Rufus actually plowed up the site of the temple. And there is a saying that the temple was turned into a garbage heap after that, the site of the temple. So really not a beautiful moment in Jewish history. Now, those are the five from the Mishnah. Something from Torah, actually two uh, Torah, one from Tanakh, actually recorded um, in later books, and then um, three from sort of a contemporary time of the writing of the Mishnah. So after that, the modern list is much longer, but I really want you to hear it. So I'm going to give you just some low lights. They're low. The First Crusade officially began on Tisha B'Av 1096. Second, Jews were expelled from England, France, and Spain on Tisha B'Av in 1290, 1306, and 1492, respectively. They say that the final solution was formally approved by the Nazi party on Tisha B'Av in 1941. And these kinds of events add to that incredible gloom of the day. Tisha B'Av is the only fast 
like Yom Kippur on the Jewish calendar. Only Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av does the fast begin in the evening prior to the day, making the fast considerably longer. So you fast all night, you wake up, and you're still fasting. And it is actually a custom on both Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av to not wear nice, comfortable leather shoes. So in a time before Crocs and vegan Toms, that was a really uncomfortable proposition. Now, I have long found it fascinating. The rabbis actually instruct this one day that on Tisha B'Av, Jews actually not study Torah, Tanakh, whatever part of Hebrew Bible they want to, but rather only to look at Lamentations, the Book of Job, and then a few parts in Jeremiah and the Talmud that talk about mourning practices. It is a really low day for Hebrew literature. But these customs and these dates, I think, are little known. And moreover, when Reformed Jews hear about them, I can imagine one of two reactions. First, it's the height of summer, the highlight of the year, sunshine, lush greenery, heat. There's riding bikes, playing golf, going to water parks and berry picking. And you want me to avoid the fun? Don't rain on my parade. I don't feel like mourning. And second, I like Judaism without a temple. So why would I mourn something that I don't want? Both of these reactions make total sense to me. Summer? I get it. It's a beautiful time of year, and it's hard to imagine turning the time on its head. But that, I believe, is part of the wisdom of this holy day. Judaism has a strong tradition of mixing joy and gladness with reminders that the world is not yet perfect. The best-known example of this tradition is breaking the glass at the end of a Jewish wedding ceremony. The origins of this custom in the Talmud at a wedding was to bring a sense of seriousness to an otherwise wild rabbinic party. By the Middle Ages, the breaking of the glass was meant to be a reminder of the destroyed temples in Jerusalem. And at many weddings today, such as my own, um, well, mine and Asher's, <laughs> there were two verses from Psalm 137 sung before the breaking of the glass. My brother-in-law, Chaim, Asher, Asher's little brother, uh, with his very beautiful singing voice in Hebrew, sang, If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand wither, may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. This symbol, whether a reminder of Jerusalem or of the brokenness of our world, is mixed with the joy of the wedding, this broken glass. In fact, when Asher broke the glass at our wedding, the room filled with music and shouting of Mazel Tov, and we went from the depths directly to the heights. Tisha B'Av is like the broken glass in the middle of the joy of summer, the time to reflect on Jewish history and personal history. 
to be given permission to mourn real events from history and real losses in our own lives, it is significant and important. It is one day in a summer full of joy that helps us to cultivate an appreciation for what is good in our world and our lives today and an understanding of what still needs our work. As for the second response that I like Judaism without a temple, so why would I mourn something I don't want? I heard it the first time from a rabbinical student friend of mine. He's a rabbi now in New Jersey. Josh suggested that we get a cake for Tisha B'Av, and I looked at him kind of puzzled. After all, I fast on Tisha B'Av, but he went on to explain that for him, mourning the temple doesn't make sense because with the destruction of the temples, rabbinic Judaism was able to grow. And without rabbinic Judaism, there would truly be no reform Judaism and certainly no reform rabbis. So I hear what he's saying, and I respect that opinion deeply from a person who has tried observing Tisha B'Av in both ways, with mourning and with joy. Because that difference, that difference in observance, is our hallmark as Reformed Jews. We rally around choice through knowledge, determining the practices of our Jewish lives through study and experiences, through experimenting and reflecting and then learning some more. Reform Judaism says, just because you didn't observe Tisha B'Av last year, or ever before in your life, doesn't mean you won't try it this year and see how it feels for you. You'll know more about yourself and perhaps something new about Judaism. And I'll say, for the spiritual seeker, you may find Tisha B'Av a more visceral, spiritual experience than other Jewish holidays. Traditionally, the Book of Lamentations is read on Erev Tisha B'Av by candlelight, sitting on the floor. We fast and focus on our thoughts and experiences as we avoid, for one day, the normal delights and amusements of our lives. In this way, Tisha B'Av can be a good time for introspection, for thinking about the work we want to do on our relationships and on ourselves leading up to the high holiday season. If you ever felt unprepared for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you could start reflecting early this year. But for me, the biggest message inside my fast of Tisha B'Av is around the idea of reflecting on and preventing sinat chinam, baseless hatred. Now I'll always remember this phrase, sinat chinam, because there was once a group of Israelis working at summer camp who were trying to teach about ahavat chinam. Sinat chinam, we say baseless hatred. Ahavat chinam would be love that's not based on anything, they translated, having not grown up in the United States, free love. <laughs> so I'll always remember, sinach is, is a free hatred. The Talmud, 
states that the second temple was in fact destroyed because of Sinachinam, because of baseless hatred. The Talmud understands that the actions of Rome are actually a part of God's plan in the world. That if God wanted to punish the Jewish people for hating one another for no reason at all, the Talmud saw God sending Rome to punish the people. Now, whether or not you believe that God controls national powers today or even in the past, the point about the evils of baseless hatred stands. The Talmud even says that sinat chinam itself is worse than idolatry, <coughs> incest, and murder. And to put that in context, the Talmud says that you should opt to be killed yourself than to take part in any of those terrible, terrible actions. So I believe that sinachinam, baseless hatred, is a real problem in our world today. And I see our participation in observing Tisha B'Av, particularly here, with our local Kansas City Jewish community at Beth Shalom, as a way to build and strengthen relationships which combat Sinachinam in our city and in our time. They join us for Slichot, and we pray with them for Tisha B'Av and Shavuot. Gathering together as one community brings more peace and more wholeness to our world. So I hope to see you on Monday night, July 15th, that's this Monday, at 8.15 p.m., at Beth Shalom for a spiritual experiment. And if you are not there, I hope that you will experiment with Tisha B'Av in your own way this year. Turn off the TV, put your cell phone down, and take a look at the Book of Lamentations. It's only five chapters, so maybe you can take some time to read a little bit about Tisha B'Av and reflect on the meaning of loss for you and for all Jews. As it says in the last chapter of Lamentations, Hashivenu Adonai Elecha Venashuva Chadesh Yamenu Kekedem Help us to return to you, O Adonai, then truly we shall return. Renew our days as in the past. Shabbat Shalom.